Welcome to another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Bream. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello. Another podcast. Wow. Another one. Another one. Another week. Another day. Uh, we, we don't miss these. Um, good stuff on, t- on today's show. We're going to go through kind of just our overall <coughs> confidence, overall impressions of a couple positions for the Oregon football team. One on offense, one on defense. Uh, and then we're also going to kind of go into what does Oregon basketball need to do um, between now and the start of training camp in late September, early October. I can't really remember exactly the date that they start. Yeah, it'd be August, September, so. <clears throat> um, July, August. And so there's a lot of things they got to get done. Sure. And August. we're going to go through that checklist there. Uh, but first. If you are not a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, I highly encourage you guys uh, to go try us out. If you want to give us a, a month trial, uh, we offer a, new, you know, a subscription where your first month is a dollar. For 30 days, you get on uh, DuckTerritory.com and you get us for a buck. And then after that, it goes up to normal rates. Or, or if you've already tried us before and uh, you want to get back in and, and you know you want to go long term, take the annual subscription We've slashed off 30% of our old pricing, and this is our regular pricing now. $6.26 a month for your first year at DuckTerritory.com. That's just insane value. You get Eric's work. You get my work. You get Kevin Wade's work. Uh, and then we have a plethora of national and regional writers, guys like Brandon Huffman, Greg Biggins, Steve Wiltfong, uh, Blair and Willow, um, and then on, across the entire network, uh, a, a team of writers that's unmatched anywhere. So best value for your dollar, uh, I, I think I'm a little biased, but I, yeah, I, a, little I, bit. a little bit, but I think it's, it's out there. Um, let's get into quarterback. This is a position group. I think going in Eric um, to spring football, it was kind of like, eh, like we know what Justin Herbert's like. We know what for the immediate future, they're probably going to be all right. Cause you know, Herbert's healthy. And if, you know, that, if nothing changes there, they're fine. But what happens in 2020, what happens in 2021, what happens in 2022, complete unknown. And I think we've emerged from spring football feeling a little bit different there. I know I have. And I think if you watch the spring game, you feel a little bit better, I would guess, about the 2020. We've talked about this on the podcast. No, it's probably no surprise. But I thought Tyler Shuck was really, really impressive throughout fall. We, you know, when we saw him in the Portland scrimmage, I thought – for a time, you could have argued he outperformed Justin Herbert. I felt in the spring game, he was really, really good, um, especially in that first half. I think he started like 14 for 18, had some really nice throws on the run, did really nice throws down the field, uh, just showed kind of a lot of different things. And so I think you come away from, from spring going, Justin Herbert's Justin Herbert. I do think he looked maybe a little bit improved in his own right. But you start looking at 2020 and you start kind of going like, okay, Oregon's not going to completely fall by the wayside. Yeah. They're not going to completely go away. You know, this is not a situation where you go from uh, Marcos Mariota and you look up and you really need to find a grad transfer to fill the spot. You don't. Yeah. You don't think you're going into 2020 now, going like, which quarterbacks from other Power Five schools could be looking to transfer over because we need a sure fix. I think you have a guy in Tyler Shuck who could be a starter. You know, for his junior senior year yeah. um, at Oregon. Obviously, this year is going to be his redshirt freshman year. I guess he has sophomore, junior, and senior year. Um, at Oregon, uh, and I think you have to be really excited about that. Obviously, we're not giving him the job in 2020. I think that we're getting really far ahead of us yeah. if we say that Oregon just landed a commitment from Jay Butterfield last week. 
Um, Kale Millen's also on the roster, but just from what we saw this spring, I think you saw from Tyler Shuck, somebody certainly capable and someone that you can build around at the quarterback position. And I think probably the best you felt if you're an Oregon fan about a backup quarterback that Oregon has had five or six years. Yeah, I, I look at this position group and factor in Jay Butterfield's commitment with the spring development of Kale, of uh, Tyler Shuck, um, the high ceiling of a Kale Millen, mm-hmm. and now you have a lot of options after yeah. Justin Herbert because when the 2018 season ended and Justin Herbert announced that he was coming back, you were like, awesome. Oregon now knows exactly who they are for 2019. But beyond that, holy smokes, it could go in a whole bunch of different directions, sure, sure. and there's not really any clear positive direction out of that. Because we didn't know what Tyler Shuck looked like because he, he didn't attempt a single pass during the 2018 football season. It's still weird, by which the way. Was, yeah, which is just really weird. Kale Millen was, you know, we didn't really get a – we hadn't even seen him yet at Oregon. Uh, and the, the stuff that we did see and hear during spring ball was all pretty much positive um, you know, outside of the typical freshman you know, adjusting uh, when he should be a high school senior um, type stuff. Uh, and then there wasn't – another big-name quarterback no. in the fold down the line. Now, obviously, Butterfield could change, and you know that you know, I, I would be floored if Butterfield opens up and goes to another school. I mean, I guess maybe Stanford if if because his dad played quarterback there, and sure. you know, maybe maybe if if they come in with a late offer, and you know, maybe he decides, ah, I could play for you know, the place my dad played at. It's right in my neck of the woods. Maybe that happens, but. I don't. I don't even envision that happening. So that now you you have positive pieces in play. None of them are definitive, but you feel more encouraged that hey, between Shuck, between Millen, and between Butterfield, they'll have somebody to step up after Herbert graduates. And I think the next thing that becomes kind of interesting to think about and talk about is, does it feel realistic that Butterfield, as a true freshman, he is very, very, he's six foot six, 200 pounds. Matt just saw him about a week ago down in Oakland um, in person. Does it feel like Butterfield by 2020 is going to be physically prepared and ready to actually put up a fight against Tyler Shuck, who would be somebody going into his third year within the program, who I stood around him just this spring and he is physically much more developed than he previously was. I think he's somebody who, by the time 2020 rolls around, will be probably 6'5", 225 pounds, pretty muscled up, maybe even looking kind of similar to Justin Herbert in some ways. I don't think yeah. he's going to be quite there. But he's going to be a big, physically imposing guy. Does Butterfield at 6'6", 202 pounds right now, do we think he can get to the place where it feels like a real competition between the two of them? And I guess the same question for Kale Millen, who we – Sort of similar to Jay Butterfield, we just haven't really seen him play much sure. at Oregon. I mean, because Mill was basically limited for the entire spring. He didn't take part in either of the open scrimmages. Well, Butterfield is the if if you, if you go off of modern day quarterback commitments, he's the third highest rated player at the quarterback spot to commit to Oregon. I think a that's a testament to how good some of these other quarterbacks have been that have shown up. Marcus Mariota, right. Dennis Dix, uh, uh, Darren Thomas, um, Jeremiah Mazzoli. Uh, you, you go down that list, and there's some bigger names historically in, in the Oregon record books that aren't high on the list. Number one is Callum Clemens. Had a good career at Oregon, sure. but I don't know if he was necessarily – I don't think anyone's going to put him in the top five 
quarterback discussion or top uh, all time out of Oregon. Probably not. Um, and then the second one is Dennis Dixon. Um, and while I, I am a huge fan of what he did at Oregon, um, he really only had one good year mm-hmm. at Oregon. So Butterfield automatically comes in as you know a guy that's you know, arguably the, you know one of the highest rated guys they've had, and on top of that, um, I, I think he I think he has a chance you know to, to show up day one and and compete for that starting job. I mean he's very very good at that quarter at that at that position. He's smart. He knows what uh, he's looking for. He know you know he's very coachable. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I think Tyler Shuck is probably the front runner yeah. to be the leader. Um, we don't know quite yet how much development that Kale Millen will get between now and next season. Um, and then, then there's Shuck, who has all these tools to play. It's certainly going to be interesting. Do you, do you play both? Do, do you play two out of the three that first year? Do right. you kind of rotate? What, what, what do you do? Um, I don't know, but there's options. And the way modern transfer things seem to play out, you would be probably pretty surprised if by the end of the 2020 season, all three of those guys are still on the roster. Just being honest here, just in terms of people sure. transfer, typically if you're not second on the team in quarterback or it feels like you're sizably you know, behind the top guy, you're going to take off and look. So certainly I think a position group, though, like you said, where you're feeling better after the spring, you're feeling even better after picking up a coon from Jay Butterfield, that yep. 2020 quarterback um, position battle is now going to be, I think, something really, really interesting to watch. And going into 2019, now I think it's more of who's the backup. I think through spring camp, at least, it's, it's Shuck. pretty clear it's going to be Tyler Shuck. Well, Marcus, uh, not Marcus, Mario Cristobal said that. Yeah, it's pretty clear that unless Kale Millen has an incredible offseason, and really, I think that would be an awesome sign for the future of the position if, if there's a real backup position battle between Millen and Shuck. That would, to me, indicate, because we've seen Shuck play at a high level, that Millen has really stepped up to the challenge and is competing at a high level because my expectation going into the fall is that Chuck is pretty clearly the second guy yeah. and that Millen's a redshirt guy and that they go into that offseason with it feeling like it's Chuck versus Butterfield with Millen being kind of the outside chance. Guy. Yeah, if, if you're the Oregon coaches, you are praying to the football gods that between the middle of May to early August when fall camp opens up, uh, Kale Millen takes a huge jump of development Absolutely. and gets back to the point where the first couple of days at the fall camp, it's, oh, this isn't done. Mm-hmm. We, we thought it was. But Kale has improved so much that Shuck now is no longer the clear favorite to be the backup to, to Justin Herbert. Uh, and that's not you know rooting against, against Chuck. That's just competition. You want competition. Uh, competition makes everybody better, and so if, if you could get that gap to be a little smaller, uh, Oregon coaches would take that in a heartbeat. And yeah, that's I'm I'm with you though. Shuck is going into fall camp, going to be you know the, the definitive number two. Now the question then becomes how ready. I think there's two questions: how ready is he? Is, is he as good as we are expecting him to be? And you know, Oregon has to find ways to get him. Absolutely. Not only just game reps, but viable game reps. You know, if if Nevada or Montana, um, other games that could be blowouts. Oregon State, uh, maybe a, an Arizona State game up here, uh, an Arizona game, Arizona, up, Arizona yeah. game up here. Um, if when if those blowout situations happen and they happen early, where the game is over at 
halftime or midway through the third quarter. Pull Herbert, but keep everybody else out there and let Shuck or whoever wins the two, the two job run the offense as if it was Justin Herbert with everybody else. That is what has to happen this spring. I agree. No, I, I'm very curious to see kind of what we see in live game action. And I think, again, I think if you're a fan of the Oregon program, you're feeling okay about quarterback, which is not necessarily where you were at coming into the, the fall or spring. Last, last season, um, there was, I, I think we went in thinking Oregon's defense uh, was going to be good because of the front seven. Because, in particular, because of the D-line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Jalen Jokes, you know, Justin Hollins was, was back, even though he was kind of like an outside linebacker slash D-end. Um, they had Jordan Scott was a freshman All-American. Um, you, you also had Drayton Kralberg and Gary Baker and Austin and, Folio and, Austin Folio and uh, uh, as two guys who, you know, really kind of showed, you know, very good progress. And yeah, they lost Henry Mondu and, um, Elijah George also moved on, but, you know, Mondu was a guy that you, you kind of thought they can, you know, it's going to be a loss, but it's one that they can, they can eventually get past and they'll figure it out. This year's group, I think, is even better. Um, as crazy as that sounds, because Jalen Jelks is gone, uh, Justin Hollins has gone off the edge, but you, you, you look at the talent that they've been able to assemble, some of the guys that they've been able to develop, and while they might not have, and maybe they do, I don't know, but they might not have that clear, you know, definitive number one who's so much better than everybody else behind him. But the depth of this group, I think, is where is what makes this position group so good for defensive line. Absolutely, and I think you know, and I wrote about we did our position reviews a couple weeks ago, and I wrote about just how outside of Jordan Scott. At nose tackle, I don't think there's a clear-cut defensive end who's won a job at all. No. You've got, on one side, really kind of Gus Cumberlander and Kayvon Thibodeau battling for each other. Cumberlander started the spring game. Thibodeau was with the and second keep, team. keep in mind, Gary Baker was hurt. I was just going to say, Gary Baker's kind of this third guy. We don't know where, is he going to be a nose guard fully? He didn't really play. He's kind of that wild card here. He could play, he's physically built to play nose guard. He could play a defensive end. Right. The other defensive ends, but we had Drayton Carberg and Austin Fallu competing and honestly looked kind of like Carberg kind of had the upper hand, even though Fall is a guy with eight career starts, and I think Carberg only has one or two. Um, those guys looked like they were entrenched in a, in a position battle. The position behind Jordan Scott remains sort of up for grabs. I mentioned Baker as a guy. Sione Kava is another player we should mention. Popo Amabe uh, is another player to mention. Um, where does Andrew Fallu, Austin's brother, fit in? I think he's probably more of an end. But I think there's just the depth across the board is better because – you're going to end up with potentially you're going to have kind of this new guys versus older guys thing play out here where you got a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau going against a guy like Cus Cumberland and the winner of that I think is going to be a really good player because to me Thibodeau is a clear cut he could be leading the team in sacks this year if Cumberlanders for whatever reason able to hold him off yeah. that speaks really high to that position I think again a guy like Gary Baker could be a position he'd be a difference maker if they you know in a 3-4 at, at nose guard or at defensive end so I agree. A lot of exciting things, and there are still I was just gonna a say, bunch of guys coming yeah. in. And, and then you're going to have to figure out what, what you do with Keon Moore-Hudson and Christian Williams and Suave Pody, and then uh, I think Isaac Townsend's probably going to play a uh, defensive end. And Brandon, linebacker. Uh, Brandon Dorless is another name. Uh, Trevon Maie. Uh, so there's going to be quite a few guys coming in here, too. So 
it is going to be a, a deeper group than we've had in a while. And I just think the odds are, are, are strong that among these five or six newcomers that are true freshmen who haven't even taken part yet, Kayvon's the only one that was here, one or two of those guys are going to be players and are going to push some veterans as well. Yeah, there's they have options. And I think your question at nose, tack, or at nose guard behind yeah. Jordan Scott, I don't know. that's kind of the only position group where you're like, yeah, there could be some concern here. We don't really know what we have if, if you're an Oregon coach, you know, behind Jordan Scott. Because Popo Amave, he was basically on the rehab team all of his redshirt freshman season because uh, he, he had a shoulder injury that happened, I think, during fall camp or maybe – I can't remember exactly when that happened. Right. But it knocked him out essentially the entire year. So not only could he, even though he wasn't really going to play a lot, not only could he not play, he really couldn't practice and get some of that skill development. Now, he did lose a lot of weight, which was really hindering his development. And then this spring, or this past season, he played, I think, seven or eight games Mm -hmm. for Oregon, but he didn't really... Very limited. Very limited production from him. And part of that had to deal with the fact that Jordan Scott is just straight up nasty. I mean, he's very, very good and... You don't take him off the field just to rotate a guy in. You know, Jordan Scott comes off because he's hurt or because he is dog tired and needs a rest. Um, so that kind of hindered things there a little bit. But what do you have behind him? Does, does Popo, you know, he's obviously one of Oregon's heavier defensive linemen. He's also huge height wise. Like he's like 6'5, which you traditionally don't see at, at that nose guard position. Usually those guys are like, you know, 6'2 or 6'1, yeah. maybe 6'3. Um, six five is more of your traditional, you know, four three defensive line D tackle type guy. Uh, does he say that the Sione Cave movement, or like you said, does maybe one of these newcomers like Keon Ware Hudson, yeah. who's over three hundred, over three hundred pounds, Christian Williams, the guy who's also like two ninety eight, I think, when he signed with with Oregon, Suave Poti, you know, that was a guy I looked at was like, hey, that's that's a guy that's probably going to be a nose tackle down the line. Uh, from a body type, or, or you know, do they maybe move a Austin Fialo because he had some reps as a freshman at at that three four spot, or maybe maybe this is also what we need to know and don't know yet is how much. I mean, Andy Avalos has been asked multiple times, like, "What's your base defense?" and he said multiple. Uh, you know how? So we won't know until game time. But how often do they play? 4D linemen opposed to 3. Or how often do they play 2D linemen and have, you know, a stand-up stud and then, you know, th- and then four other linebackers. You know, we don't know those combinations yet. And I think that kind of may dictate some sure. of these things. Sure, I think it's hard to predict and, and it's and it's sort of hard to know at this point kind of how all this plays out. And, and there's also possibility of position moves. Maybe DJ Johnson figures out to be a better, he's 6'5", 270. Maybe he's yeah. a better defensive end than he's a stud linebacker and they go that route. I don't know, but I agree. There's just a lot of unknowns, but again, I think the over... I don't know if it's bad unknowns. I was going to say the overarching thing is I think there should be a lot of optimism for this group. And, and I think this should be a really strong group. And again, I think... The kind of dark horse here is, is how good is Kayvon Thibodeau off the edge? Because you are going to be replacing two of your top three pass rushers yep. in Jalen Jokes and Justin Hollins. Is Thibodeau capable? Is Cumberlander, who actually was second last year on the team in sacks with four, is he capable of taking it to another level and being a big-time contributor? That's, that's something we haven't really discussed yeah. a lot. Because this spring, Mario raved True. about Gus Cumberland. Yeah. and. It was always kind of, okay, how quickly will Kayvon Thibodeau move into the first team? Or 
when 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 will Austin Fialo or Drayton Crawberg move into the first team? And it was Gus. Gus was started and ended with the first team defense. And, you know, and there's some there's some underlying you know games being played by staffs. You know, across the country of spring football. Sure. Hey, giving a guy you know some confidence boost of running in with the ones, and at the same time motivating a guy that they feel like has all the tools to be a dominant guy, but needs to be pushed. And maybe, you know, we don't know if that's going on. But Gus is, from what we saw, Gus Cumberland was was consistent and was good at the start of spring ball all the way through the full, through the entirety of spring football. Yeah, he, he and uh, Drayton Carberg were two guys that I, that I put in here as my headliners for the spring because both guys kind of quietly were the lead player at their defensive end spot with really talented players kind of battling with Kayvon and, and, and for Drayton, for Austin Fialu. So, yeah, I think it, it's it's interesting. And, again, position battles are going to carry into fall, and it's going to be one of those position groups where we're going to be kind of talking about throughout uh, who's going to be the starting defensive ends around Jordan Scott. We're pretty sure he's pretty, it's pretty freaking evident that he's going to be at the middle of it. Who's next to him? It, it it's, could go one of a handful of different ways, and I think that's going to make kind of an exciting fall. But regardless of how it stands out, I would expect it to be a productive group. It's an experienced group. I'm looking at the two deep that I put up here. Five out of six guys are juniors or seniors. That's. Do you have anything else? Or are we I'm good on this, man. I, I, I'm, ex- I'm excited about this position battle. I'm excited to talk more about down the line about running backs and linebackers and all that stuff because I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff to discuss, and I think there's just a lot of position groups where there's a lot of stuff we don't know yet. Yeah, Eric and I are going to run through each kind of position group where things kind of are at. I think from uh, an immediate perspective and a long-term perspective and yeah. then you know throw in the recruiting angle as well for there as well um we'll, we'll do running backs and we'll also do linebackers next on, on the next podcast and then uh we'll go to receivers slash tight ends uh and throw them in with the dbs and then offensive line gets his own episode offensive We're line, talk offensive, line for <laughs> offensive line specialists sure probably, would probably be a good would be appropriate and then we'll we'll, we'll wrap up there and then Look, before we know it, we'll start getting into the fall camp stuff because it's it's right it's around. Fast, it's, man. It's, it's getting there. It's getting close. Uh, let's wrap up with some basketball. We haven't talked a little bit of basketball in a while on the podcast. No. Um, there are some to dos that Dana Altman needs to figure out, and yeah. some of these may get done quickly. Some of them may have already happened, um, but at the same time, Oregon has some items that they need to check check off their list and. Uh, Eric and I have three things, and again, we for these end, you know we end our podcast with these debates, and we do not compare notes. No, and this is one going in. I I am prepared that you and I are going to be of similar mind. Well, my I'll, 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 I just have, I just have written down uh, figure out your roster, <laughs> <laughs> complete roster. That's my number one. No, um, no. Well, I think the hard thing with this is, is you mentioned there's like Oregon as the as we are currently recording this podcast. There are a ton of things they need to figure out. We don't even know who's coming back for sure. Right. Peyton Pritchard and Kenny Wooten still remain in the draft. There's the possibility that they'll add upwards of they could add what five or five scholarship yeah. players still, which is crazy. I think the only if if you if you say Pritchard and Wooten come back. That's seven scholarship players available for next season, eight total, including Eric Williams, who's sitting. That means there's five guys available. So we should preface this saying that there's a lot of to-dos on this to-do list, and I agree we're probably going to have some similar ones. But I will kick it off here with just, I think they need to add at least one grad transfer. I think you need veteran leaders on this roster. And 
Um, obviously, Peyton Pritchard, we expect, will probably be back. Kenny Wooten could still be back, probably leaning towards that. Those are two guys that have now been in this program for three-plus years, and, and those are guys to build around. But I still think you need a guy kind of like a Paul White, who mm-hmm. was really a, a steadying force. A guy like Ehab Amin, another veteran guy who was a steadying force on this last year's team, to kind of figure that out. So I think fighting some veteran leadership in a grad transfer um, one or two, I mean, they could take three grad transfers. I don't, I mean, I think that would be an interesting move in terms of you really set yourself up to need to fill up some players again in 2020. But there's a need for some more experienced players on this roster because right now you're looking at three incoming guys that haven't played with the program, two veteran guys in Pritchard and Wooten, and then a couple of guys who have got one year on Will Richardson and Francis Acora. So I think you got to go find a couple grad transfers. Yeah, my number one is kind of similar to you. It's figure out the guard position. Who are going to be your guards? Because going into the year, or going into the offseason, the hope was Victor Bailey comes back for his junior season. Will Richardson is back for his sophomore year. Both of those guys are kind of your one and two options off the bench. Uh, Will, Richardson's at, Will Richardson at point, and then Bailey is kind of your backup wing. And then you go out and you get a, a Cole Anthony or a Kasha Stanley to be your number two with Peyton Pritchard at, at the one. And then Chris Duarte, your Juco player of the year, slides in at the number two, at the number three spot if Lewis King went pro. And Lou King went pro. Uh, Cole Anthony picked North Carolina. Cassius Stanley got an offer from Duke and signed with the Blue Devils. Victor Bailey Jr. said he's out. He wants to try something new. It's 0 for 4. 0 for 4. Uh, Will Richardson is back. Oh, 1 for 5. 1 for 5. And Peyton Pritchard is... Has his name in the draft. One and a half out of five and a half. But is expected to come back. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's fluid. Things can change. And, you know, we expect Pritchard back. But uh, you never know. And so Oregon needs guards. They need to figure out what they're doing. They went out and got Eric Williams, Jr., uh, from Duquesne. But he's a sit-one, play-two guy. Uh, he's kind of – he's going to have to redshirt next season. He's not going to be eligible, barring some unforeseen miracle. Uh, for Oregon, and I'm sure they'll evaluate that sure. and see if they can find a way to get him eligible. Um, and then after that, they've got, like I said, Chris Duarte signed. He now is definitively going to be probably a front runner to start for Oregon. Yeah. Um, and so you need to find guards, whether that's Javen Cumberland, a graduate transfer from Oakland. Uh, maybe that's Isaiah Moss, a graduate transfer, who, by the way, has almost 100 career starts at Iowa. And wants to go somewhere where he's going to be more of a focal point instead of being the fourth or the fifth guy. Average nine points a game last year, 11 as a sophomore. Uh, most improved player for the Hawkeyes two years in a row. Um, so th- that's a name to keep watching. Do they go after other graduate transfers? You know, KJ Lawson out from Kansas has two years of eligibility left. Average like 13 a game at Memphis his uh, freshman year. Um, do they go after Lawson as a grad tra- as a two year grad, which is very rare. Uh, and he's also the older brother of Chandler Lawson, a guy that's coming in for Oregon as a kind of like a four-five, four-three type wing type. So it's, it's figuring out your guard spots and, and, and being able to to solidify that. That because that's to me that's the only holdup for this team to getting back to being in the discussion of a new lead eight, a Final Four dark horse caliber program, or even more depending on who they had. My number two is finding another shooter, or two, possibly. Two? Just finding a couple shooters. I mean, you look at what Oregon has lost now from last year's team from a perimeter shooting perspective. You've got Bull Bull, who only played nine games, but he led the team in three-point percentage. Number two was Victor Bailey. He's now gone. Number three was Lewis King. He's now gone. 
Number four, Paul White. He's now gone. That's your top four three-point shooters are gone. Number five on the list is Peyton Pritchard, who we know has the ceiling as a as that quality three-point shooter, but only shot 33% last year. It was yeah. a really down year shooting. We expect that would be better if he does return. But I think finding a couple of guys in the corners to spread things out is going to be critical. Will Richardson also back. He only shot 28% from three last year. It was not a strength. He only took about one a game. He was not somebody that was that confident shooting. There just isn't a lot of three-point shooting coming back. C.J. Walker is somebody who we think can shoot the three okay. Chandler Lawson and Chris Duarte, same kind of thing. But I think going out and finding somebody who is either, A, a really good overall player but and a competent three-point shooter, or maybe you just go find a specialist, somebody who your, your whole role is basically going to be sit in the corner, fire threes, kind of what Victor Bailey's role was um, the last couple of years. But I, I think you have to go be able to find a guy who is capable – of spreading the court and shooting the ball from through. We saw how valuable that was, especially in the tournament with Lewis King and Paul White shooting the ball at a pretty high level from three. I think going and finding, again, whether that's a Juco or a prep player that reclassifies or that's in 2019 already, uh, you got to go find a three-point shooter or two. Yeah, my number two is, is kind of similar, not three-point shooters. It's develop Kenny Wooten and Francis Okoro's offensive games because both of those guys are tremendous defenders, uh, Okoro is a tremendous rebounder. Yeah. Um, I think Wooten can become a tremendous rebounder, but he's also one of the best shot blockers in college basketball, not just the Pac-12, uh, across the country. So you've got a, pan- a tandem there on the defensive side of the ball that's elite, in my opinion, in Okoro and Wooten, um, and they're very good on-ball defenders. But both of those guys, they need to have their offensive games developed. Okoro uh, has... Yeah. He's got some decent low post moves. He's got uh, a good hook shot. I think he now needs to add, you know, a secondary move or p- preferably a third move. Uh, I think Kenny Wooten is an, a freak athlete and is a terror on alley-oops, but offensively that's really all he is at this point. And so you need to get him to kind of have some go-to move that he can use and create for himself, whether that's a hook shot, whether it's a face-up game, Something you get, you get those two guys to, to take another step or two on the offensive side of the ball, and now all of a sudden the, the floor and the spacing can spread out even more, and your offense becomes better. And like you said, you add those shooters to this group, and now that their offense becomes much more potent. I, I think that's a great point, and you're, and you're right. It would be interesting to go back and look at how many points those two scored off of post moves. So yeah. Like back to the basket. Okoro did, Okoro did some bit. late in the year. But, but Wooten is basically all lobs and putbacks, yeah. and yeah, and Okoro is largely offensive rebounds, putbacks, some lobs. But yeah, I, I, something that needs to be kind of figured out there is, is a different way to attack in the paint, and I agree. I, I wish I'd thought of that on my list, <laughs> but I didn't. My number one was also your number three or whatever, whatever order we're in. The sure. first one you said, which is just figuring out your backcourt, because... I think it's pretty clear right now that if Peyton Pritchard comes back, he's your point guard. Yeah. And I think Will Richardson is pretty clearly your second guard, and whether that's as a shooting guard starter or as a backup point guard. You just need to find more guys. And I think ultimately what you're hoping to find is somebody that can take over the reins for Peyton Pritchard now going online. Or maybe Will Richardson ends up being the starting point guard for a couple seasons after Pritchard graduates his offseason. But I, I just think you still want to find somebody that you can come in. Maybe Pritchard plays a little more off-ball and that player develops as the point guard kind of of the future. Just like we were talking about earlier at quarterback with Tyler Shuck's development, I think you'd feel great if they land a point guard, whether that's probably going to have to be a younger guy, but if they can bring him in and have him develop next year and he kind of either is the backup or plays a lot with Peyton Pritchard on ball, 
and then is the go-to point guard going forward because I just think that's a position right now where you don't have a ton of clarity outside of Pritchard. And obviously Richardson is capable there. I just think he's not necessarily a bad option off ball as well. My last one is kind of all-encompassing is set the culture Mm. because I thought going into this offseason that wasn't going to be something on the to-do list because they were going to bring back Miles Norris. They were going to bring back Lewis King. They were going to bring back... Um, Victor Bailey, and then they, you know, they have a core, you know, four out of their five starters are back. You know, the two or three of their top reserves are also back, and now it's implementing one or two guys into the rotation, getting the other guys that are newcomers to kind of fall into line and you know learn the way of of, of how the program operates and practices and the standards and all that. That's all out the window because, you, yeah, you've got a Coro, you've got Wooten, you, you've got Pritchard, uh, and you've got Will Richardson, um, but four guys, that's a tough order to, to throw on all four of them to kind of lead the pack. Now, Peyton's going to be a four-year starter for Oregon. Um, Kenny Wooten will go into his third year starting, so that helps, you know, but, you know, Okoro and, and Richardson, this is still, you know, they, it's, it's middle of May and they still have not been on campus for a full year. Right. And you're going to have guys showing up in about a month. Maybe maybe six weeks for enrolling, and you're going to be having to ask a Coro and having to ask um, Richardson to, to kind of become you know, leaders maybe before they were ready for it. I mean, we know what Coro was because Dana has said that multiple yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Um, is Richardson <coughs> ready for this? We don't know. Is Wooten ready? And and is that someone you want? You know, being one of the you know, your primary leaders. I and I don't know that. I'm not trying to say Wooten's a bad guy because he's not. He's he's hilarious. I love you know, I love talking to Wooten. He's very level headed and and you know says some some great quotes and and is when you, when you talk basketball with him he's he's sharp. But is that in his DNA? I don't know. Uh, is a guy like C.J. Walker who's already been pretty uh, outspoken. Oh, he's on very outspoken in terms of on, on a handful of topics. Uh, you know, I don't, he was just posting recently asking about what elementary schools in right. Eugene he was wanting to you know where where he should volunteer his time when he arrives. Obviously, he's somebody that is. Uh, pretty seems he's to, willing to take on a bigger role. Seems like he's willing to take on a leadership role. Is that something he's ready for, both as a player and also off the court as kind of a 18, 19 year old kid who's still you know a young guy? Um, yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, Oregon, I think pretty clearly had some. Took them a while to figure out kind of what their leadership hierarchy was this last year. When they figured it out, it really came together. Let's see if they can figure this out prior to <laughs> late February or whatever it is uh, before they need a late run. That's going to do it for us on the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Go to DuckTerritory.com uh, for your full coverage of Oregon football, recruiting, men's and women's basketball, recruiting for both of those, uh, and just generally a good place of community of Duck fans that talk that talk shop. Uh, if you want to subscribe, go give us a, a, a trial run for 30 days for $1. Can't beat that anywhere else. And then if, if you want to subscribe on an annual level your first year, your month-to-month payment will be $6.26 if you choose the annual annual route. Can't beat that value anywhere else. That's a, a 30% knockoff of what we were originally charging, and that's not going anywhere. This isn't a promotion. This isn't you know some flash sale. Um, that's our regular pricing now. So when we do run sales, it gets even better. Uh, and then on top of that, you've got Eric, you've got myself, Kevin Wade on the site, and then a team of national and regional writers that's unmatched by anyone else in the market that covers these sports. 
and these and these beats. So I highly encourage you guys to give us a try. Uh, and until then, for Eric and myself, Matt, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye, guys.